listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. So several thousand years ago, uh, some angels started appearing out of nowhere around the time of the birth of Jesus, and they started declaring peace on earth and goodwill towards uh, man. But what do they mean? What kind of peace are they talking about? Who is this peace for? It definitely, at the time, wouldn't have really been a peace like we might imagine it today or we might think of today. Uh, because it didn't usher in some kind of a time of, of world peace like we might think of, where everyone gets along and you know, sings and dances freely together and there's no more violence and no more pain. It didn't usher in anything like that. So what, what were these angels talking about? What does this peace that we celebrate during this time of year at the coming of Christ, what does it mean to them? What does it mean for us? Well, there's been a lot of different ideas about what, peace is in the world. It's one of these deep fundamental needs that people have, but I think that sometimes people mean different things by it. Some of the most famous pieces uh, comes from the Latin word pax. You may have heard pax romana. That was ushered in in the Roman Empire about the same time that Christ was born. So you see this real big desire and need for peace, and the, and the Roman Empire declared this time of peace uh, and the, it was supposedly this time of five inter, um, uh, emperors, starting with Augustus, uh, and several hundred years where the Roman Empire sort of established and provided this peace for all the people who were under their rule. And there's a couple of other famous versions of this that, that are kind of derivative of it. One of those would be Peace Britannica, which would be in the 1800s, this time when the British Empire sort of secured this almost global peace Um, because of their colonizing efforts throughout the world. Uh, And then even after World War II to almost the present day, you have this idea of a a peace Americana, like this peace that that America has brought to the world. But if you look at any of these time periods a little bit closer, again, the question is going to be peace, but for whom and at what cost? So, if you're in the ancient Roman, if you're in ancient Rome, peace for some male Roman citizens, sure. Uh, maybe more peace, less little tribal infighting going on. But certainly if you're a Christian during this time period, it doesn't mean peace because there's several periods of great persecution against Christians. If you're uh, a slave, if you're uh, one of the lower classes, if you're a woman during this time period, there's definitely not necessarily peace for you. If you're looking at the peace Britannica, this great peace that the, Roman, uh, that the British Empire brought, definitely not peace if you're one of the peoples that has been colonized by the British Empire. Uh, there's peace for many people, maybe again, more peace than there would have been possibly, they might say. But there's definitely pe- more peace for some people than for others. And at the same time, if you look at this peace that we've had because of America over the past several hundred years, again, you see In all of these, it's kind of peace at the end of a sword, peace through military power and military strength. 
that provides peace, yes, for some people, but definitely not peace for everyone and definitely not peace for all people everywhere. And it's peace at a price, peace at a cost. So what's the correlation between some kinds of peace that we might see like that? And bring it even down to like a more local level, okay? So, so today, this past week, uh, just in a family level, what a great week to, to have to preach on peace than a week where I travel back and forth to my family and to my in-laws and my kids, are, we're all together for the entire week and we're driving up and down the road and we're dealing with traffic and we're dealing with those interpersonal relationships. And the whole week I'm knowing that I gotta stand in front of you guys and preach about the peace that God brings this week. There's some, some very, not very peaceful times during the midst of all that. I know your families are perfect and you never have any kind of interpersonal you know, troubles at the holidays or anything like that. But for us, sinners like my family, sometimes we get on each other's nerves a little bit. Sometimes we fight a little bit. Sometimes there's a little argument. Uh, but, but, but that's kind of just on the, 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 the littlest level. But in like a more serious reality, I just look at the world around us in the past couple of weeks and you still see this longing. Like I, I feel, see it in my life, I'm like, have multiple shootings in the past couple of weeks. I see like last night on my news feed, we have Atlantic Station, somebody's getting, there's a shooting, several people injured. Um, we're thinking about this. And then you see the barrage of political ads where people are promising you peace. If you just vote for the person uh, that, that, that believes in what they believe in, you'll see the exact opposite things. Well, if we just vote to get rid of all the guns, if we just vote to protect all the guns, you know, then we'll have peace. We'll have peace. So we have all of these promises uh, from different perspectives and different angles and different empires and different political parties promising this same idea of peace. And then I think you even have some absurdist type philosophers in the, the modern, postmodern world. They were like, there's never going to be peace. I feel like there's a lot of people out there who's like, peace is not going to happen, so I just need to get as much happiness as I possibly can because we're never going to have any kind of peace. That's just never going to happen. And into the midst of this world that longs for peace but seems to struggle so much at finding peace on personal and global levels, we, we have the message of these angels, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And what does that mean for us? Let's look today in Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, and we're gonna start in verse 15. And I think it's a great passage that speaks to how Christ is going to go about bringing peace. And it's very different than a lot of the ways that our world would sort of uh, promote peace. So it says this in Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, 
making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, uh, became a minister. It's the word of the Lord. And we see very clearly a difference right off the bat in how God is going to handle the problem of this need for peace, and he's gonna solve it through the blood of Jesus. He's gonna solve it through the gospel. He's gonna solve it through self-sacrifice. And in an even bigger sense, we see what this peace applies to. And it's much bigger than just uh, one issue. It's much bigger than just me as an individual or as a whole group of people. It is all of these different layers. I love how Tim Keller describes it. And, and he goes to that biblical meaning for peace, the shalom that God wants to bring about in our lives. And he says this shalom is multidimensional. It is complete well-being, physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. It flows from all of your relationships being put right, your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, and your relationship with others. And so it's a peace through the blood of the cross that's gonna set our relationships to God, ourselves, and others right, physically, psychologically, socially, and spiritually. It encompasses all of these things. And so that is why we say our deepest need is this peace, and the price of peace is Jesus. So our deepest need, our great need is this peace, and the price of this peace is Jesus. Jesus. And so I want to look at a couple of things about this great need, first and foremost. So our great need is peace. In Luke chapter 2, 76 76 to 79, we see this this great prayer that Zechariah uh, gives, again, at the time of of Jesus' birth. And he's going to sum this up really well for us. So in Luke chapter... Luke chapter 2, 76 through 79, uh, Zechariah makes this prophecy, and he says this. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of of peace. What an amazing image that is to give light to people who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. You think about the world that we live in today and and that shadow of death is long over the world. The reality of death, the reality of suffering, the reality of turmoil and yet he's going to guide us out of that and into the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our great need is peace, and the price of that peace is Jesus. So let's look at that great need first and foremost. So our great need. The first thing we see about this great need is we need peace with God because of our sin. We need peace with God because of our sin. You go all the way back to the very beginning, the reason 
we don't have peace, first and foremost, is because of sin. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, uh, we had peace with God. They had this fellowship with one another. They had this right, right relationship with themselves, with one another, and with God. And we see what ruined this, what destroyed this, was their decision to rebel against God and put themselves first and consider themselves better than God. And that brought the entire world uh, it, it, off kilter and out of peace with God. And that brought this desperate need for, need for peace into the world first and foremost. So all the way back to the beginning with Adam and Eve. And in Psalm 51, 4, we see uh, that it, it is against God and God alone, David says, that I have sinned and done what's evil in our sight. So, so much of the time we think about sin, we think of that sin towards one another and the way that it messes up those relationships. And it does, but first and foremost, that sin is against God. First and foremost, that sin messes up our relationship with him and then messes up all of these other relationships that we deal with. And, and sin isn't just a thing we do. It's a state of being that rejects God and acts against God's will and actively sabotages God's design for peace and flourishing in our lives. So it's, it's not just one thing that we do, but it's our mindset and our attitude against God. And, and it, it actively sabotages everything in our lives and all the peace that we could have in our lives. So we're actively sabotaging that as we go about our day. And I want you to, to take a minute and just think about your life. Think about this practically. It's easy for us to look back at this and see Adam and Eve and think about it as a theological concept. But I want you to think about your life and the ways that your sin actively sabotages your peace. It's a hard thing to think about. It's a hard, hard to look into that mirror of the word of God and see that hard and difficult truth. But think about the ways that your sin damages your view of God and your relationship with God. And take a minute and think about the ways that your sin has brought anxiety and fear and stress and uncertainty into your life and the way that you view yourself. And think about the way that your sin has brought damage to your relationships with the people that you love the most. Think about the ways that your sin has brought damage into your relationships with people you go to church with or people that you're friends with or people in your family. Maybe there were some of those tensions coming back up this past week as we were with family that we haven't been with in a while. And it brings some of those things back up that we don't like to think of. Or maybe you weren't with some of those family members this past week because of some of those things. We think about some of those tensions and some of the ways that our choices and our actions have damaged us, have damaged our souls, but also the way that they've damaged our relationship with God and the way they've damaged our relationship with people around us. We see that God's original intention and design from the Garden of Eden was for us to be at peace. And yet our choices and our sin and the choices and sin of other people have have damaged that peace and are actively damaging that peace that we could have. I'm gonna to refer to several scriptures throughout this time, and I'm not gonna read every single one of them for the sake of time, um, but feel free to go, to go back to some of these. Um, but like, for instance, we see this cycle of this, this uh, descending away from peace into uh, sin and struggle and chaos in Romans chapter one. Paul lays it out very clearly. Uh, how, what the plan of God is and yet how our sin and our choices lead us into further sin and further strife and further turmoil. And we see 
in Ephesians 2, 3, what the result of this is, is we, we're children of wrath, children of wrath. Sin spoils every part of us and how we relate to God and how we relate to other people. We have to take an honest look at our sin, at what sin is and what it does to our relationship with God before we can find peace. The second thing we see about our great need for peace is that we need peace to avoid God's wrath. Because of sin, there's this reality that's laid out very clearly in Scripture that the the wrath of God will be poured out on sin. As we saw, sin angers God personally. It ruins our relationship with God, and it invites his anger and wrath towards us. J.I. Packer says, do you understand this? If you do, you're seeing the very uh, heart of the gospel. No version goes deeper than that which which declares man's root problem to be sin, which evokes God's wrath, and God's basic provision for man is propitiation from sin which brings peace. So he says again, the, the biggest thing that we need is to, to have the wrath of God removed from our hearts and our lives, which comes only through Jesus. Is this wrath some kind of a like divine temper tantrum? Is God kind of just angrily pouring out his, his frustration at people who don't really necessarily deserve it, who haven't really done anything bad? Today, I think we hear things about God's wrath and his judgment, and we either wanna kind of minimize those things or it really kind of makes us, well, I don't really want to serve a God who would, would have wrath and, and, and you know, judgment on people. But the reality is that's a flaw of ours and of our understanding of how messed up sin is and our lack of understanding of how righteous God is. The wrath of God, though, is not necessarily a comfortable thing for us to think about and teach about, especially not oh, it's a nice Christmas, we got the Christmas trees up here and now we're talking about the wrath of God. But what I'm telling you is we can't really have peace unless we understand the problem and the situation that we find ourselves in. We, unless we understand why these, this, the declaration that these angels bring is such good news, peace on earth and goodwill towards men who don't deserve it, who deserve instead God's wrath and his frustration. It's because sin doesn't, provoke our own wrath, that we believe that it does not promote the, provoke the wrath of God, said W.R. Dale. It's because sin doesn't provoke our own wrath that we believe it doesn't provoke the wrath of God, because we're not frustrated or angry by our own sin or the sins of others. It's very easy for us to excuse our sin, to justify our sin, to overlook it, and to think other people should as well. We're surprised when we hear that people have been hurt by our actions, We're surprised when we hear that people have been hurt by the things that we do because we want to see the best in ourselves. We we think that we're pretty lovable and people should be able to overlook the bad parts to see the good. And yet we're very quick when other people sin against us to to hold that over someone and to, to want justice and wrath for those other people. So we have this prospect of wrath that hangs over our heads, that has to be dealt with if we're gonna find peace. And then the third thing we see is that our sin and God's wrath lead to divine judgment, lead to divine judgment. We can't flourish and be at peace if we're under the judgment and punishment of God. Again, we hate this idea. We don't like to think about this idea. We don't like to think about God's wrath and his justice and divine judgment 
But think about this. When we think about the Holocaust or, or genocide or human trafficking, we want, we want to say, where is God? Why is God not doing anything about these horrible things? We want God's justice when it comes to some of these incredible injustices in the world. We just don't want his justice when it's stuff that we're guilty of. We can never imagine ourselves being so, you know, so horrible as to, to commit some evil atrocity like that. But again, it's, this is a minimization of our sin and it's a self-justification and it's a lack of us understanding how holy and righteous our God is that we serve. God is concerned with his holiness and he's concerned with all of our sin. And the truth of the matter is that he will punish sin. There's no sin that will be left unpunished. A judge who refused to punish obvious evil and sin would not be a good judge. We would want that judge fired. If there was someone who was guilty of murder, guilty of horrific things, and they were just like, ah, you know what? I'm gonna show a little grace and mercy. I'm just gonna let that person go. We're just gonna, we would say, that judge needs to be removed. This person obviously needs to have consequences for what they did. There needs to be protection for other people that they're not providing. We see that God is a good and a just judge. In Proverbs 24, 12, he says, he will repay each person according to what he has done. Every person according to what they're done. And if you're like me, that puts a little fear inside of me. I don't want to be judged according to what I've done. I like the idea that other people might be judged according to the things they've done because that's justice, but I don't necessarily like that applied to myself. So how are we gonna have a just God and a merciful God? How are we gonna have a God who justly judges sin and evil and really deals with wrongdoing in the world and yet is able to forgive and to love us. That points to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only possible through Jesus in that the full punishment for that sin is poured out on God himself. He bears it in himself so that God can, can, can pay the price for that sin in his own body so that we might have peace. The fourth thing we see is that sin destroys our peace with each other. Sin destroys our peace with one another. We think back to the beginning we saw with uh, Adam and Eve, and very soon after that, peace with God was disrupted and destroyed. Peace with people was messed up. We see with Cain and Abel, uh, almost immediately, we see that, they're, that as soon as sin enters the world and becomes a part of the equation, uh, we see that that's gonna bring strife amongst people as well. So our messed up relationship with God is also gonna bring messed up relationships with one another. It's gonna be, bring envy, it's gonna bring jealousy, and it's gonna bring uh, horrific action, murder against somebody else. And so this uh, interpersonal strife. We also see uh, with the people of Israel that we're gonna see uh, political strife. We're gonna see geopolitical strife. We're gonna see strife between nations. We're gonna see war. War is a horrific thing that was not a part of God's original design and plan. This, kind of, this level of human suffering is not a part of God's uh, original design and plan. It's something that, 
that he longs to bring to an end once and for all. And we long, people everywhere long for peace. Again, it's just a matter of who's going to pay for the peace and who does that peace apply for? Who does, who's gonna pay for that peace and who does that peace apply to? But we see this, this national war type stuff. We also see um, between Jews and Gentiles in the New Testament, we see ethnic, racial, cultural strife that's going on. We see strife between people groups where these boundaries are drawn that are based on uh, uh, exterior things, that are based on cultural things, that are based on ethnic or, or customs, and we allow those things to bring division that's not a part of God's original design and his original plan. We allow it to, to separate people over in ways that they're not supposed to be separated in. And so there's a real struggle to live at peace with one another. Call, uh, Paul, Paul calls this the dividing wall of hostility in Ephesians 2.14. There's this dividing wall of hostility between us and others. It's a direct result of our hostility between us and God because of sin. But think in practical ways about your friends, about your family, about your coworkers. I know that right now, as I speak, that there are people that you are either thinking about or trying actively to avoid thinking about because maybe you feel some guilt over the way you've treated other people. Or maybe you feel some hurt about the way that other people have treated you. And it's something that you're holding on to and it's still causing damage to those relationships. Think about your family, your friends, your coworkers. How has sin damaged and hurt those relationships? And, and how do our hearts long for peace in the midst of those things? Fifth, we see that the problem, uh, we see the problem of the God of this world who destroys peace. The God of this world who destroys peace. If you look in Ephesians 6, 10, uh, and the verses following, you're gonna see in this, this famous passage where, where uh, Paul is telling us to put on the full armor of God. He sees that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities of this, uh, of, of this present age. Uh, so the, the ruler, the God of this world, who wants to bring strife, who wants to bring turmoil. There's a spiritual reality to this as well. There, there's a, a spiritual reality. This is not just an interpersonal thing that can be solved. They're just kind of talking things out. Th th those things can be very helpful. But we have to recognize the spiritual side of this as well, the, the, the spiritual warfare aspect of it that we're involved in. The fact that we do have an enemy who wants to destroy relationships in this church, who wants our church not to be uh, the light of the world, declaring true peace to the community around us where they can see that there's a people who love one another and love God wholeheartedly. They wanna destroy uh, that reality. We wanna destroy our relationships with one another. We wanna actively attack our relationships in our marriages. We wanna actively attack our relationships with our children because those are some of the primary ways that God shows a picture of the gospel to the world around us. And so Satan wants to, to crush that picture. He doesn't want people in the world around us to see, well, Christians are able to have different marriages. They're able to have different relationships with their children. Look at the difference that Christianity makes in them. Satan doesn't want that. He's gonna do anything he can to attack and destroy those things. And we have to, to put on that full armor of God to stand against those spiritual attacks as well. And six, we see the problem of this groaning creation. It's not just, it's not just a... Um, intentional sinning against one another, but we also see that the world itself is cursed by sin. 
And if you want to look at, look at that passage, it's in Romans 8, 18 through 22. Um, but it talks, it talks specifically about how uh, creation is groaning with longing to see the revealing of the sons of God. It's wanting Christ, to, the creation itself is longing to set things right. And we see that the suffering that creation brings and the fact that we will face physical death. We do face physical suffering. There are people in our lives right now that we know who are suffering, who, have, who are facing diseases, who are facing um, uh, physical pain, who are confronted in the world around us by earthquakes, famine, um, you know, disease, all these things that the physical world is impacted uh, because, of, because of sin and where we long for that peace that's gonna come in God. That peace that comes through Jesus. And so we see, we have a desperate need for peace. And it's not just uh, peace between myself and one other person. It's not just a kind of a theological construct of peace that I need with God. I really need a practical peace in my relationship with God. I need him to look at me and not see my sin, but to see the righteousness of Jesus. I need that so that then I can have a, a healthy view of myself and I can have healthy relationships with people around me and I can endure the suffering that I'll face in this world. But that peace comes only from Christ and Christ alone. And that's why the second thing we're gonna see is that the price of that peace is Jesus. The price of that peace is Jesus. We've seen a lot of bad news so far to set up this second good news point. And we have to feel the weight of that need for peace before that peace really becomes good news. But we see, again, a couple of things that go along with this peace in Jesus. The first thing we're gonna see is that we find peace through a real and true union with Christ. And this isn't supposed to be some kind of a, a theological idea. This is as practical as I could possibly be for you. If you wanna have peace in your life, if you wanna have peace with God, if you wanna have forgiveness for your sins, if you wanna have peace with your uh, spouse, peace with your children, peace with your, peace with your friends and your coworkers, peace with the, the people around us in this world, uh, peace in the midst of a sin-damaged world, then we have to first and foremost be united with God in Christ. Are we located as a child of Adam or as a child of Christ? 1 Corinthians 16, 17 says, anyone united with the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. Just think about that for a second. We're united with God in Christ. We become one in spirit with him. If we want that spirit of peace to fill our hearts, it comes by being united with God in Christ and him alone. Calvin said, all that Christ is, is nothing to us until we grow into him. So all that we have in Christ is available to us as Christians. His nature, his attributes, the fruits of the Spirit. Yes, this peace that he has, but it's only available to us as we grow up into him. It's not gonna happen by osmosis. It happens as we pursue Jesus and our relationship with him, as we seek him and him first each and every day. There's nothing more practical that I can say that you're having a hard time in your relationships with other people. Pursue Jesus. You're struggling as a mom or as a dad, pursue Jesus. You're having difficulties in your relationship with your spouse, pursue Jesus. And this isn't just a Sunday school answer where I'm saying there's not some serious other practical work that needs to happen. But that practical work can't have that lasting 
impact if we're not first and foremost pursuing Jesus. So that has to come first because again, we see the reverse of this pattern. In the very beginning, the relationship with God is damaged and destroyed. That piece is broken and then it plays out into every other relationship. If we wanna reverse that, the first thing we have to do is restore that peace with God in Christ and through his sacrifice on the cross for us. That's how Christmas, Advent, becomes good news that brings peace to us in Jesus because we are people who need peace and can have that through this relationship with Jesus. We experience peace as a spiritual blessing of growing up into Christ. The second thing we see is we find peace when our sins are forgiven. We find peace when our sins are forgiven. When I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about um, Joseph's brothers. You remember the story? Joseph, uh, his older brothers think he's a little brat. Maybe he acts a little bratty. And they're like, well, let's just kill him. You know, natural reaction, I guess. Uh, but they decide to follow through with it. And they're gonna kill him. And then the, thankfully, through God's intervention and intervention of one brother, who's like, oh, maybe it's not a good idea. They sell him into slavery instead. And God is able to use this horrible, horrible thing that's been done to him. Um, he's able to, even through 20 years of suffering and, and difficulty that results in this, to have this incredible moment. It's like, this is the ending of all these great movies. Like, oh yeah, the hero's gonna get to stick it to the villains once and, once and for all. But then you put yourself in the, in the shoes of these brothers who are coming with nothing. They need, they don't even have food to feed their families. They're struggling. And they see all of a sudden it's Joseph. Well, this is the end of the road for them. Like, well, now we're dead. Now it's over with. We've got nothing to give. We have no way to apologize. We have no way to atone for this sin. We can give nothing to this person who is now all powerful. And yet what does Joseph do? He forgives this sin. Not because they deserve it, but because he loves them. Joseph pays the price for their sins. And yet he extends them grace and mercy and forgiveness. Imagine the feeling of peace that comes to them with that. Not only are you gonna be forgiven, but you're gonna be provided for. This is what we have in Jesus. We come to him with nothing. We come to him who our very sins have driven him to the cross. He's had to suffer and endure that pain and shame because of our actions, because of our sin. We come to him with a hat in hand, broken, empty, with nothing, and in that moment, instead of justly condemning us for that sin, he restores that relationship with God. He offers us forgiveness because of his payment of it so that we can have peace with God through that sacrifice. What a feeling of peace we have when we know the depth of our sin and we know that our sins have been forgiven. Hebrews 9.22, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. The blood of Jesus was shed on our behalf that we might have that forgiveness. We're forgiven because of his sacrifice. The third thing we see that comes with the price of peace being Jesus is we find that peace when we're cleansed by Jesus. One of my favorite kind of pictures and images of this in all the scriptures in Zechariah chapter three, when this high priest is taken up in this vision to stand before God and Satan, the accuser, who we talked about in this, this last part is, it's like, how can you let this person stand? Look at their filthy robes and filthy clothes. And for a high priest, that was the symbol of his relationship with God, his standing before God, 
standing before the other people. And to, be, to come there with just filthy and tattered robes is a symbol of his spiritual just brokenness before God. And yet we see sort of a forerunner type of Christ come in, take off those filthy robes and put on clean clothes before him, to cleanse him before God, to defend him against the accusations of the enemy. We find peace when we've been cleansed by Jesus. We find peace, number four, we find, fourth thing, we find peace when we are justified and redeemed in Christ. Justification means that our sins are paid for and Christ's righteousness is given to us. So the bad things we've done are paid for and we're also given the righteousness of Christ. This status is, is not something we earn, but it's something that's given to us in Christ. We find peace with God when we're redeemed by him. Consider the story of Ruth. As somebody who is really similar in a similar situation that many of us may have find ourselves in in life, losing a loved one, not sure what they're gonna do with their life, doesn't have a way to provide for themselves. The future doesn't look bright. There's economic turmoil in the world around them, plague, war, famine, and yet they're able, because of God's work, because of this faith that they put in God, they're able to find redemption, not because they deserve it, but just as a gift from someone else freely bestowed on them in God. How many of us find ourselves in a very similar situation? What am I gonna do? How am I gonna pay this bill? How am I gonna uh, meet this obligation? Uh, what a, look at the mess I've created for myself or someone else has created for me that I now have to deal with. I need peace. I need peace with God in my heart. I'm not gonna find it on my own. I'm gonna find it through Jesus, through this justification, redemption that comes through him and him alone. Next, we find that peace when we're reconciled to God and to one another. We find peace when we're reconciled to God and to one another. One of the greatest passages I could point you towards, I would love, I wanted to read the whole thing, but run a little bit low on time, but Romans 5, 1 through 11, uh, will talk to us about being reconciled to God and what that means for us, this peace that we can have in this reconciliation with him. And another passage in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 says, and this is talking about the reconciliation that people can have with one another. He says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh that dividing wall of hostility. So we see that is the answer as well for our peace with one another. We were, di we're different. We come from different backgrounds, different races, different nations, different ethnicities, but God takes all of us who were far off and reconciles us to him and to one another in Christ. It's the beauty of the church. It's the beauty we see in Revelation chapter 21 in this incredible image of a people from all peoples, from all tongues, from all tribes, from all nations, worshiping God together. 
Because what unites is the fact that we were all far off. None of us had peace. We were all, because of sin, subject to futility, objects of his wrath, and yet have been reconciled together through the blood of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation with God is the necessary condition for reconciliation and peace between people. We see a world around us right now that's desperate for reconciliation, that's full of answers that are not going to bring peace because peace comes through Jesus and him alone. I'm desperate for peace in the world around us. We have that answer. And yet for so many of us, whether it's fear, whether it's apathy, we're not willing to declare that truth to our brothers and sisters of the peace that's available to us in Jesus. And I think the truth is for many of us is because we don't feel it ourselves because a lot of these other things that we've talked about so far. So we need to pursue Jesus and find our peace in him. And as we grow as disciples in Christ and are filled with his spirit, our relationships to God and to one another and to ourself is restored to the way God intends for it to be. And then we can then be the agents of changing the world around us as we declare that peace to our brothers and sisters who desperately need it and are looking for it. But if right now we go out to them and say, Christians have the answer, they're gonna say, you look just like everyone else. You're trying, you're, you're listening to the same podcast I'm listening to. You're watching the same political shows I'm watching and you're spouting the same answers that, I, that I'm hearing spouted back at me. So what do you have different than anybody else has? We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, the fall of man has created a perpetual crisis. It will last until sin has been put down and Christ reigns over a redeemed and restored world. Until that time, the earth remains a disaster area and its inhabitants live in a state of emergency. To me, it has always been difficult to understand those Christians who insist upon living in the crisis as if no crisis existed. How many of us are seeing that crisis around us and yet we're incapable of helping people around us because one, we're not at peace with God ourselves or two, we don't love God and our neighbors enough to take that truth of the peace that's available through Jesus to them. We're living in a world of crisis. There's crisis all around us. The only thing that people need is, is not just to hear pieces in Christ, but the most important thing that they need the most important thing that must come before everything else is that reconciliation with God through Jesus. Then those other things can start to be worked out as we grow as disciples, as we build that kind of loving, peace-filled kingdom of God that he established when he came into the world and died on the cross and has been growing and filling the world ever since in faith, small, faithful churches where people love God and love one another. It's not some big flashy thing. It's not some nation that declares that God is gonna, you know, they're gonna take all their laws from the 10 commandments. It's from churches where individuals are united with Christ and united with one another and declaring that truth to one another and to the world around them and are being a light in a dark place and are taking seriously the emergency state around them and are taking that medicine to people who were lost and dying around them. That's where the peace of God is filling the world. And we, South Point, need to be that type 
of people, people who were serious about pursuing Jesus, who were thankful for the peace that we have in the midst of the chaos of this world and are taking that peace to other people around us, building a peace-filled community right here in McDonough. So the application, very simple today. Look to Jesus and point others to Jesus. It's not a, I had plenty of points in my sermon so the application could be real nice and short and sweet, okay? Look to Jesus this week. That has to come first. I need this reconciliation in these other areas. It doesn't mean there aren't other steps to walk through. It doesn't mean we don't need to to get counseling. It doesn't mean we don't need to talk to somebody. It doesn't mean we we need to be honest with our DNAs and our life groups. All those things are important, but the prerequisite is that we have peace with God in Christ and that we are pursuing Jesus. And then those things can be worked out in those other areas. And as those things start to be worked out in us, we take that good news to other people around us. We never graduate beyond this. Some form of this should be how we help each other in DNA. Some form of this should be how we help each other in life group and those spiritual conversations that we have with one another, pointing to each other to the the peace that we have in Christ, the joy that we have in him. So that's the challenge for us this week. Look to Jesus. As we start this busy, hectic, crazy season, Find your joy and your peace in him. Every week at South Point, we participate in in a reminder of that sacrifice of Jesus and that need for Christ. And it's it's something that he set up and established, an ordinance that he established as a reminder of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the good news of the blood that spilled for us to bring us to peace with God. And and every single week, we uh, take part in that meal, those of us who are believers to remind us of our dependence uh, on Jesus and and the blood that he shed for us to bring us uh, peace and fellowship with God and with one another. And so I want to challenge you guys this week during this time to take some time to reflect on your relationship with God and confess any sin that's damaging that relationship. And then think about your relationships with other people and sin that you have in your life that might have damaged relationships with others. Confess that sin to God and ask that he would bring restoration and peace in your life in the midst of a difficult world, in the midst of a difficult time, okay? So I'm gonna pray, and then as soon as I finish praying, we're gonna enter into this time of communion. There are stations around the room. Uh, if you're a believer, would ask you to join in this time together. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. Thank you for the blood of Jesus spilled so that we might be reconciled. Thank you for the fact that you are a just God who takes sin seriously, and yet in spite of it, You paved a way for us through the sacrifice of Jesus to make us right with you again when we don't deserve it. So Lord, help us to to find that peace and joy in you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You come to these stations.